Welcome to UX Soup, our short form podcast where we go beyond the buzzwords and talk about the latest user research, technology innovation, and all things impacting user experience of personal devices and services, whether it be at home or on the go. As always, UX Soup is sponsored by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our clients all over the world with insights, analysis, and expertise. Hello, my name is Lisa Cooper. Derek and Chris have the day off today. This is the second part of a two-part podcast about inclusive design in technology and more specifically, the accessibility of products and services for people with sight loss. As part of our ongoing UX syndicated research programs, myself and Derek Vita are interviewing people within the blind community to look at accessibility challenges and needs. This is the second part of my conversation with Martin Ralph, who is the Technology Services and Skills Lead at Guide Dogs UK. Enjoy. So let's talk about the role of smartphones to people in the blind community. I know that smartphones are used for a variety of different purposes. One example is to use it to identify something like a bus from afar by using the camera in the smartphone. I wonder if you could speak about that for a moment and how people who have sight loss are treated by the public if they are actually seen using a smartphone for any kind of purpose. Yeah, genuinely, uh, this is something I've, again, I've paid particular interest to for a while. There was a meme circulating social media in about 2017, 2018 of a lady using a white cane and using her mobile and something on the lines of doesn't god work in mysterious ways or you know alluding to the fact that this lady was faking being vi and it astounds me to this day you know it, <laughs> the time we live in that people still don't realize that technology is an enabler for people with sight loss and i take my phone everywhere with me because because of uh, you know not only the ability to contact the outside world and speak to people and annoy people on on you know on tiktok and facebook and all that fun <laughs> stuff but it's, it's also about being able to live my life i genuinely 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 100 percent could not do what i do without a smartphone and that is everything from work to leisure to socializing i couldn't do what i do without a smartphone and that is because of the, I call them um, your sight loss Swiss army knife, because there is so much to them. Like I will use my iPhone as the example. I've got large text. I have large buttons. I use voiceover occasionally when, when my eye starts to wake. I listen to things and also still having some, some limited vision. I will use the camera to look at, as you've mentioned, buses and bus numbers. But then, and that's without even looking at the apps that exist for people with sight loss on, you know, in the market and how, how those apps work for us. But then when you start to break that down even further and you think of the likes of CNAI, one of the best apps ever made by Microsoft, and you think of other apps that exist that are made by, you know, third party indie app developers, if you want to think of it like that, of, you know, just make, trying to make the world more accessible is all done through the lens of a smartphone nowadays. And yet the ridicule element is still rife of if you pick up a smartphone, you hear the comments of how can they be blind using a smartphone? Or, oh my God, have you seen them using a phone? Like they don't need that dog, you know, and those comments happen. It's like, I, I just don't get why in this day and age, we still have to deal with that and people not know 
that um, this technology is more than useful. It's a lifeline to us in in some cases. And you know, one of the other benefits to to the smartphone, as obviously we mentioned, with, with public transport, is again using the commuter side of it. Is I can see where my train is. I can see if it's running late. I can see if I've got to hang around on a wet platform for another 30 minutes or whether I can go and sit down somewhere and hide for 30 minutes or it's just the little things like that you know that make our lives just as much easier you know as everyone else's we can do everything you can and that's the important thing we can do everything you can and everything everyone else can do we just do it a little bit differently we're just trying to live our lives at the end of the day and um, it's those things like smartphones that really really help us and you know get us get us on our on our way. To what extent can we rely on private companies to account for blind people in their design? And to what extent do we need governments to mandate accessible design? I'm curious about your opinions on that. I think the simple answer is we can't. We can't rely on private organizations and corporates to do it. We can continue to think Apple and Microsoft will continue to think about accessibility. No one's making them. No one's making that a thing, but because they're doing it, you know, smaller organizations are, which is brilliant. But then there was a court case um, a year or two ago now in the UK where a delivery firm had been sued for £50,000 for their app not being accessible. And that was only because that person could afford to take them to court and had the support behind them of, you know, of a law firm that could see, you know, something big from it. However, no legislation has passed since. The only legislation that exists in the UK is in the public health sector. You've got to have your services have got to be accessible or you've got to have an alternative way of people communicating with you if your services aren't accessible. That's the only space it is policed, you know, quote unquote. You move into the commercial, you know, private sectors. It's not policed by any stretch. And I, you know, uh, as, as as good as the WCAG standards are, which is the Web Content Accessibility uh, Guidelines, as good as they are, and as, as you know, they're not everything. So as much as a site might say we are, you know, compliant with the WCAG 2.2 or whatever the case might be, it's not everything. Just because your website's accessible doesn't mean your services are, doesn't mean your app is, doesn't mean you know anything else is. But there's no one policing that, and I do think governments need to step up and take responsibility for digital inclusion and accessibility predominantly with digital services. But for me, accessibility doesn't start at digital services and doesn't stop at digital services either. It's everything, you know, from building design, you know, we, architectures, you know, or architects have guidelines on how to make buildings accessible and where they shouldn't include steps and where they should include steps, et cetera. Exactly, why, yeah. why does that, you know, not exist to a degree anywhere else? Again, that's not necessarily law, but it's guidelines that architects stick to. There definitely needs to be some form of, like, for, for example, at Guide Dogs, I'm in the middle of producing an accessibility architecture to work with our service design processes so that we are always thinking about our service users, you know, and how they interact with our services as we're having to move to more digital inclusion. But again, no one ever asked me to do that, you know, and, and no one ever necessarily um, wanted it, but it's something that I feel needs to exist with, it, with, with our service design. But again, it's potentially something just no one thought of as well. I really think accessibility architecture is a thing and it has to exist in the outside world. It can't just, it can't just sit within sight loss sector organizations. It has to be the responsibility of everyone. And accessibility architecture is not hard. I've managed to condense a, a service design accessibility architecture into about three pages. 
it's not something that has to be a Bible. It just needs to be very clear and needs to be understanding. Like one of the things we've implemented with our service design is doing a technology assessment, seeing how people are using technology before they can interact with us on a digital level. And if they're not ready, hey, they, they then get passed to me and, and the, our, our technology team, and we will get them ready to interact with our digital services and train them remotely and have that conversation. But yet again, it's the sight loss sector doing the right thing where no one else is prepared to do that. So say, for example, I'll use Apple again as a great example. They, they, they have some accessibility Apple geniuses, but they're not always in store. There's only one person responsible for that stuff or all that knows that stuff inside out. Right. My question is, why, if it's part of your product, does everyone not know about it? Yeah. I bet you, you know, that person that, that says, oh, they're not in today, knows everything they need to know about the latest iPhone or the, late, or the MacBook Pro. Well, everything for me <laughs> includes accessibility. And that is where it just needs to become part of the puzzle. If you think of the, the, you know, the worldwide pandemic that's, that's took hold lately, we, no one used to clean baskets, did they? You know, or trolleys at supermarkets or malls, yes. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no one used to do that. We now do that. And, no, it's, it's no, and it's no sweat off anyone. It's just a process that's changed and people have gone and done it. So why can't we take that and translate it into the world of accessibility and sight loss and say, actually, we just need someone to make sure we have an accessibility architecture. But sometimes, for, for, for me, I think the governments of nations or what have you might have to step in and create legislation at the point where we have disability ministers in the UK and we have digital ministers, I think there's one missing. There's a digital inclusion minister that mm -hmm. needs to exist to help implement and enforce those type of things. So for me, it is all about the digital inclusion being enforced at legislation level, because I don't think, and as much as I don't want to admit that, I just don't think that anyone's going to take it on on their own without that, you know, the potential repercussions. There are some countries within Europe that actually have legislation but it's not europe-wide and there are fines for companies that don't stick you know stick to accessibility but why is that not a worldwide thing so yeah that's that's my that's my rant i suppose <laughs> do you think maybe it's because when you don't have a good uh user-centered design process when you don't have a good inclusive design process when it comes to all products you don't know what you don't know so because you're not involving all different kinds of people in your design process, then you're not going to include these things automatically because you just don't know what you don't know. 100%. And I think that's a, that's a brilliant point, I suppose, because you can't, as you say, you know, UX design at university or college, whatever, does not teach necessarily accessibility. And if you've not got the lived experience or you've not witnessed someone living that experience, you're not going to think about it. And that's mm -hmm. a fair, you know, that's a very fair comment to make. If you don't know how it impacts people, how can you be responsible for making those design calls? But that's where person-centered, user-centered, customer-focused, however you want to, whatever you want to call the process. So whether it means engaging with those people with lived and learned experience, nine times out of 10, everyone's up for collaborating, making sure things work and move in the right way. And as, as, as I've joked about, uh, you know, <laughs> driverless cars, I'll happily engage with uh, <laughs> getting a McDonald's for a drive-thru. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yeah no i think that's i to answer your question yeah i totally agree it's about that user that user centric focus and not knowing necessarily who your user base might be right, you know and i think right. that's that's also another thing yeah i can talk to you all day martin i, I this is great <laughs> sorry <laughs> no this is great um this this conversation is needed i mean just for myself I didn't realize that there's only a small percentage of people with sight loss 
that are completely blind, correct? Yep. Do you yep, know what those totally. figures are? So globally, the figure dances between about 3 and 7% of people that are legally and registered blind. So in the US, you guys classify it as legally blind. In the UK, we classify it as severely sight impaired or SSI. Those people that have, you know, are registered as blind or SSI, their visual acuity is less to make detail out and things like that. So for example, for my case, I, I hate using percentages because I can't relate that to you but i have five percent vision in my right eye but what does that even mean well yeah it's hard for me to explain <laughs> it know, can I mean can't. something different for each person too right exactly five percent it's so you... unique yeah so for example you know interacting with this podcast today i was able to look at the website and you use as i use the, the terminology i sniff the screen so i'm so my nose is pretty much pressed against the screen so i can get as close up to it to look at it as i possibly can but then obviously people will use screen readers to do that um, but that, that also doesn't mean they're registered blind either because they might just want, not want to, you know, get eye ache and they don't want to, so they could be visually impaired and still use a screen reader. So you also can't take those metrics of who's using what assistive tech as well, because although those cookies exist to enable you to see who's using a screen reader, it's not always gospel that someone, because someone could be testing that website for, access, for accessibility. So you're always going to pick up that cookie if, well, even if you, if you are tracking that cookie to, to pick up screen readers and accessibility. But yeah, everyone's visual impairment is unique. Everyone is different. You know, no one genuinely has the condition I have. I was the first case in 40 years in the UK with, with my condition. And there's only been one person born since uh, with my specific condition. But again, they still won't see the same as I do. And so even two of us in the whole of the UK with the, with, with the whole set of conditions I've got, we'll see totally differently. And you think of people with acquired sight loss conditions, such as glaucoma and things like that they will see completely differently. There'll be different stages of their journey, you know, and early onsets can hang around forever or they could just completely take away your sight within moments. It is, it's an interesting journey. And that's one thing I've always said is a sight loss journey is unique to that individual and technology and everything around it is an enabler. And that's why obviously it's so important to get it right because everyone is so unique and different with it. Yeah. So Martin, you're setting up a charity, is that correct? That is totally correct. Yeah. Myself and my partner, Sam, she's visually impaired as well and has a guide dog as well. Obviously, the conversation about digital inclusion is massive for us in our household. And we talk about it probably more than we talk about what we're having for dinner, surprisingly. And with that, we decided our main focuses are going to be on digital inclusion and, um, you know, campaigning for, for the rights of people with sight loss and digital inclusion and making sure we can lobby parliament and things like that to talk about digital inclusion. You know, we have got lived and learned experience. As much as we've got sight loss, I do consider myself someone who knows a fair bit about assistive tech and how technology works. Just a little mainstream. bit, just, just a little yeah, bit. Yeah, hopefully, <laughs> from mainstream to assistive. So we think we've, we, you know, between the two of us, we were able to do that. But also with that, we want to make easy to access training programs for people with sight loss to get to grips with technology and pick it up for the first time. Like for example, the quirk of the Hey Siri feature that I mentioned with Apple and, and not working properly when you're trying to set it up for the first time. It's those little things like that we, we'd like to just demonstrate to people and say, hey, there's, there's a quirk here. You might want to skip this step and come back and set up later with someone, you know, with someone that, that's cited with you. And, you know, everything from that training and inclusion, right the way down to having people there that can talk on your level and can represent you, I think as well is, a, is another thing because confidence is a big thing in the sight loss sector. If you've got acquired sight loss, obviously, if you've picked it up on in your life, you, you might have been a very confident person 
but your confidence can literally be stripped away from you. And the same with congenital, you know, it takes a lot to build the confidence um, to, to, to do a lot of stuff, even just getting out and about. And so we just want to be able to give people that empowerment and say, you can do it. That's the idea of the organization is to empower people with sight loss and also try and enforce change, particularly in the UK. Our website is currently being designed, which is blindsensebirth.com. I think as user researchers and UX designers, we need to understand more about various communities and people with sight loss is one of them. It can be tricky to design for people with any disability because everyone is so unique. And if you could have some sort of degenerative disease of some sort and you're going to progress at a different, a different speed than anyone else, you're going to lose different faculties at different points and it can be tricky. Um, and I imagine it's similar with sight loss. Yeah, everyone's challenges are so different as well. Like one thing I've always said is if you think about, if you go back to obviously the whole mouse and all that type of stuff that when Microsoft tried to introduce it, that was done brilliantly, introducing the mouse and stuff. But if you've had acquired sight loss and you're used to using a mouse and touch screens, you then got to move back to just using a keyboard. So everyone's journey is so different yeah. and, and unique that that's, you know, one of those ways of combating that is, is obviously you can't talk to every single person with sight loss because that, that would be impossible. <laughs> but you could at least but, have a go. Yeah, oh God, yeah. <laughs> Talking to someone with sight loss. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Um, Even just it, going so to unique. an organization like Guide Dogs, I mean, you can really get a lot of information just by talking to a charity that deals with what? this community. Well, exactly. And what I found is key that if an organization like Guide Dogs is always learning, you know, research will probably never stop. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I have to close our episode. I want to thank you so much, Martin, for joining us today. You've really opened our eyes to the issues that people with sight loss are facing. And I'm so grateful for that. So thank you. No worries. Thank you again for having me. <laughs> That concludes part two of this podcast on accessibility. If you want to know more about our research on accessibility and people with sight loss here at Strategy Analytics Syndicated Research, please feel free to email us at uxsoup at strategyanalytics.com. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Check out our latest user-focused insights on strategyanalytics.com. You can also follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter or by visiting our show page at ux-soup.com. Please remember to subscribe to UX Soup on your favorite platform where you can review and rate our show. See you next time. Bye for now.